Hi there, you're listening to One Person's Trash is Our Treasure. I'm your host, Rachel. And I'm your other host, Jen. We're a podcast where we discuss underrepresented and underappreciated media that other people would generally consider to be trashy. So since it is October... Yes, queen! (laughs) We're going to be continuing on with our uh, spooky episodes, slash fall-themed episodes. Yes. And today we're going to be talking about an animated miniseries called Over the Garden Wall. If you haven't heard of Over the Garden Wall, what's wrong with you? It was a it was a Cartoon Network series. One season. That's what miniseries means. Huh? <laughs> Hear that American horror story? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rachel and I both really love Over the Garden Wall. It's one of our favorite animated shows of all time. Crazy and silly and ridiculous and gorgeous and amazing but also really rich in its uh narrative and storytelling and deeper meanings and all that good stuff that we like to dig out yeah and analyze yeah the reason i wanted to talk about this is because i think a lot of people tend to think that animation needs to either be children's shows absolutely absolutely of low quality i'm nodding vigorously uh or raunchy comedies right right like family guy and the simpsons or whatever sure 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 yeah yeah Um, no i'm i'm totally with you i totally totally agree the show is anything but it's, it's it's a gorgeous gorgeous show it's so smart yeah it's 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 really silly and ridiculous but it's also surprisingly sophisticated at times Mm -hmm, absolutely i think it did fly under the radar for a lot of people and it's oh yeah i think in part because i don't think it actually ever aired on cartoon network i think it's only available on like hulu and other purchasing yeah sites yeah i think it's gotten attention since it came out but it's worth it's worth talking about yeah so which is the point of our podcast yeah yeah So uh, if you have any thoughts about anything that we discuss here today, then please reach out to us on Twitter. That's Optiot, O-P-T-I-O-T, or on Instagram, at OptiotPod. And also on our website at OnePersonsTrashesOurTreasure.com. Come talk to us on there and read our shit. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, enjoy the episode. And away we go! (laughs) So if you aren't aware of Over the Garden Wall, it's my favorite animated series ever. I don't know if it's yours. Yeah, it's definitely up there. Yeah, uh, it's considered a mini series. There was only one season. It was on Cartoon Network and it's weird and wonderful. Mm -hmm. It follows these two boys named Wirt and Greg. They are half brothers and they're lost in the woods. And for a lot of the show, you don't know why. Yeah, the show is a combination of episodic and serialized as far as the narrative goes. Each episode, they kind of encounter a different person or a group of people in the woods. A different weird scenario. <laughs> yeah, but uh, throughout, there's a series-long plot. Right. It's basically just them trying to get home. Mm-hmm. They meet some companions along the way. Yep. <laughs> One is a talking bluebird named Beatrice. <laughs> And uh, there's also this mysterious beast that people keep talking about Mm -hmm. who uh, seems to be following them throughout the woods. He's kind of a uh, perpetual threat, but you don't really see a lot of him. Mm -hmm. It's also a very musical show. It's not... Hooper. It's not... I wouldn't consider it a musical. No. But there's a lot of music throughout. There's there's both uh, music that the characters sing and there's music that is kind of just like background music. Mm -hmm. And the soundtrack is absolutely phenomenal. It's amazing. Yeah. It's by The Blasting Company. They're amazing. They have this weird, interesting sound that is like eclectic and beautiful. And the music for the show, even if it's not sung by the characters, can be pretty important to the plot. Yeah. Alarmingly. I highly recommend that you check out the soundtrack, even if... You're really not into animated shows for whatever reason. <laughs> or if this doesn't really seem like it's something that would float your boat, uh, just check out the soundtrack. It's actually really good. As Jen said, it's it's eclectic, but it, it's all thematically relevant mm-hmm. to the story. And Absolutely. So great. And it's, it's really autumn-y, so it is 
definitely perfect for this time of year. Like, I've been listening to it so much, and not only because we were recording this episode. Yeah. So that's the basic um, setup of the show. It's just two boys trying to get home. (laughs) So as with all of our episodes, we're gonna be a little spoilery. (laughs) So if this does sound like the kind of thing that floats your boat and you haven't heard of it or you just haven't watched it yet. Or if our uh, amazing conversation (laughs) inspires you to check it out. Go watch the show. It's surprising. And it's available on Hulu. It is. And iTunes, I believe. So I know it seems weird that for an animated show like this, a weird, silly animated show like this, there would be a spoiler warning, but like, just trust us. Yeah. Shit goes down. (laughs) Let's get right into it then. (laughs) Okay. The show starts out with kind of a montage opening sequence where you see a lot of uh, seemingly unconnected characters just kind of doing random shit. Set to um, the beautiful, gorgeous, amazing theme song sung by a cartoon frog. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. When you're first watching this scene, you don't know what's going on. You're probably not picking up on anything. Mm -hmm. And you really just kind of look at it as this is setting the tone. Mm -hmm. Which it is. And it does a great job. Absolutely. The song itself, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Turns out each sequence of characters that you see is directly related to each of the upcoming episodes. Mm -hmm. And the lyrics of the song itself are, in fact, the, the topic of... Our discussion today. Yeah. I assume that one of the lines you're talking about is um, the loveliest lies of all. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the one. Yeah. The, the main one. <laughs> yeah. You know? So the reason that line is relevant is because nothing in the show is as it seems. Mm-hmm. Everything you think is happening in each episode and throughout the overarching arc of the series mm-hmm. is subverted by the end of the episode or series. Mm-hmm. Even after watching each episode and having that happen where you're surprised by something, you still manage to be surprised mm-hmm. by everything that happens. And I think that's really interesting. Me too. You know? I- absolutely. They're they're completely playing on expectations mm-hmm. of of the audience and the main characters because mm-hmm. the main characters fall into the same pitfalls as the audience does. And I don't know how they pull off having that not get tired and having the audience not really catch on, I guess. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, part of part of their success is because of the fact that some of these twists are insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for example, in one episode, they are at the giant mansion of a <laughs> of a um Georgian era uh tea farm owner <laughs> John Cleese <laughs> voiced by John Cleese and uh it's hilarious and he is terrified of his home because he thinks there's a ghost in there mm-hmm. but it just turns out that his mansion had grown so large that it had started to <laughs> merge merge <laughs> with the with the mansion of a woman who is um very 18th century french rococo style if you will let me just say that's specifically pointed out in the episode rachel just didn't pull the phrase rococo out of her ass <laughs> although editing she's that she's out. editing this episode so she can edit it out drat <laughs> <laughs> Foiled again. I mean, I said it like an asshole, so I hope people think, especially people who have watched the show, will be like, oh. Yeah. Although, I mean, I watched the show and I don't know that I would remember that. But whatever. Whatever, whatever. whatever. So, um, the ghost that he thought he had been seeing was really just this woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's completely ridiculous, but also uh, delightful and just a complete twist. No one saw that coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they... They get away with a lot of ridiculous stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's super interesting that some of it is questioned in the show, like within the context of the show, mm-hmm. kind of lampshaded in a way. And some of it isn't. Like there's stuff there's stuff that the main characters find weird. Like when they first meet Beatrice, the talking bluebird, who becomes their companion for pretty much the remainder of the series, Wirt questions how she can talk. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of glossed over for a while. Then there's other stuff that's, like, just as weird, and no one mentions it. Mm -hmm. In episode three, when they come across the um, schoolhouse full of animals in the woods. And not only that, but there's a wild gorilla on the loose. (laughs) (laughs) 
And nobody thinks that's odd at all. <laughs> it's never questioned. It does get explained. It does. Which I think, I also think that's super interesting. This mm-hmm. weird thing that the audience goes, what? Yeah. But the characters don't. It does have like a logical conclusion. Yeah. It's so funny because they literally just kind of accept it as part of their reality. Like, <laughs> oh, we can't go outside. That wild gorilla's on the loose still. Yeah. And. <laughs> And it's something that just keeps getting mentioned. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's not something... Just like Jimmy Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Along with the uh, school teacher's uh, runaway beau, mm-hmm. Jimmy Brown. Who... A is for the apple that he gave to me when he first said hi. <laughs> she sings an entire song about the fact that he left her. She, like, sits on the floor and sings in her own little world in front of this schoolhouse full of animals who, by the way, cannot talk. No. <laughs> but she's supposed to be teaching them math and writing. And yeah. <laughs> but they inexplicably can play musical instruments beautifully. They can. <laughs> God, that episode has some of the best music in it. Mm-hmm. Potatoes and molasses. Yeah. <laughs> That's another thing that just... <laughs> yeah <laughs> everyone just kind of accepts like the the little boy greg in the episode the entire class of animals along with greg Wirt, and beatrice are all sat down to eat dinner mm-hmm. and um they're just served flavorless potatoes so greg is unsatisfied mm-hmm. so he sees a gallon of molasses <laughs> on top of the piano and thinks which what <laughs> and thinks that'll go good with these potatoes Mm -hmm. and proceeds to sing a song about it and um no one questions it in fact they're all really into it yeah you're you're kind of hypnotized while you're watching this but at the same time you can't help but think what the fuck is going on (laughs) because it's just this little boy singing about potatoes and molasses and how delicious it is and and that if you can't see them you should put on your glasses and and it's squishy and soft like puppies and socks filled with Cream and candy rocks? <laughs> the the lyrics are nonsense. The the situation is nonsense. And yet it's perfect. It's so strangely watchable. But it's not stupid. Some cartoon shows, it seems like they're just senseless for the sake of it. Ridiculous for the sake of being ridiculous is not always a bad thing. No, it's it's gotta be balanced with like substance. Mm-hmm. Over the Garden Wall definitely does that. I mean, like, I was just about to say, I think it goes beyond that. But it's so hard to say that when we're describing scenes like potatoes and molasses and a runaway gorilla. So, like, I I feel like I can't say that. But at the, at the same time, I feel that. Like, I don't... Even the silly things that happen in this show, I get it, man. <laughs> like, I get it. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. It just <laughs> It just works. Maybe we'll get to the bottom of why. Maybe. <laughs> during our discussion. So as we were saying, all expectations in the show are subverted. And that transcends to uh, the characters' roles as well. Mm-hmm. In the beginning of the show, uh, we have Wirt, the older brother, who's high school age. He's the rational one in the situation, sort of. <laughs> and the reason I say sort of is because... Though he's the one who's like, why is that bluebird talking? We Mm -hmm. need to get home. Like, why is everything here so weird? He also doesn't get things done. He's the older brother and therefore should be the one in charge. But you quickly start to realize that Wirt doesn't do anything. I mean, even in the first episode when they meet the woodsmen Mm -hmm. and um, they... (laughs) through a series of uh, calamities and misfortunes, kind of destroy the woodsman's house. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he yells at them and Wirt blames Greg. And the woodsman's like, no, you're the older brother. This is on you. Mm -hmm. Because Greg is like five. Yeah. Yeah. Greg is literally a child. Um, So, yeah, they definitely play with that theme. Wirt wallows a lot. Mm -hmm. He also... Poetry writes him. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely in the uh, midst of his teen angst phase. Yes. It's not annoying in the way, like, your 14-year-old cousin is. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it doesn't, like, weird, it's weird that it doesn't make me dislike Wirt at all. No, not at all. I mean, it makes you, like, roll your eyes and, like, yeah. laugh at him. Yeah. 
but um it's strangely endearing because he has a like young yeah he's he's a sensitive guy Mm -hmm. and he's going through that awkward phase of his life so he has to monologue yeah (laughs) whereas greg is young and Mm unself-conscious and even though greg is younger he is a lot of times the reason things either work out or get done Mm -hmm. you know absolutely the episode with potatoes and molasses a big theme of the episode is the fact that Wirt just kind of does whatever he's told. Mm-hmm. And he decides to, like, stubbornly prove that to Beatrice, who is the one accusing him of, mm-hmm. of being so passive. <laughs> so he he kind of, you know, goes along with this whole animal schoolhouse thing for a really long time. Whereas Greg is off making friends with <laughs> animals and he encounters the mysterious gorilla you keep hearing about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> gorilla! so greg you know despite being the younger brother Mm -hmm. he really is the one who acts more rationally sometimes than greg even though his actions are often ridiculous and confusing to the viewer yeah it turns out to be the correct action to have taken in certain situations yeah in a weird way he seems to have a clearer head than wirt yeah definitely wirt is definitely weighed down by his teen angst (laughs) and his rationality almost yeah well i mean that kind of makes if you're in a world this place is literally called the unknown (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're right if you're in a world where you know a a gorilla on the loose isn't a big deal and you're like you know all this crazy shit that's happening Mm -hmm. maybe the your rationality is going to hold you back Mm -hmm. definitely even from the very first episode, the woodsman is telling them about uh, this mysterious beast. I actually have something to bring up to you. Ooh. See, I, I don't know how you would explain it because he is tricky. Mm-hmm. You know, like he outsmarts people. He tricks them. He gives them riddles. He manipulates them. He doesn't do a lot. That's actually a really interesting point. I hadn't considered this before, but the beast is the villain Mm-hmm. But the beast actually does nothing. Yeah. At all. Yeah. You know? And that's kind of another subversion because you're so afraid of this beast throughout the entire series. And it turns out he's actually powerless unless other people do things for him. Exactly. He, like, not only does he straight up not doing anything, but even the stuff that he's manipulating people into doing is, like, pretty indicative of his powerlessness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The woodsman throughout the entire series is desperately seeking these Edelwood trees, which you eventually find out are basically people who got lost in the woods and mm-hmm. gave up. And the woodsman doesn't know that. No, he yeah. doesn't. So th- the woodsman is is chopping down all these Edelwood trees. And he's doing it because he has to keep this lantern lit. Mm-hmm. And he believes that he's doing this. Because his daughter's soul is trapped inside and he wants to keep her soul alive. Mm -hmm. As it turns out, uh, we don't know exactly where she is. My assumption would be that she herself turned into an Edelwood tree, but I don't know. Hmm. Either way, the the beast is manipulating the woodsman into keeping this lantern lit by cutting up Edelwood trees for the oil they produce. Because he has to keep that lantern lit, the beast, or he'll die. Mm Mm-hmm. And the woodsman doesn't know that. All he thinks is that his daughter's soul is inside and he has to keep chopping up these trees in order to keep her alive. Mm -hmm. The character design of the beast is interesting. It's Mm -hmm. just a dude with antlers, which, like, did this happen before or after Hannibal? (laughs) (laughs) Right? But he he just looks like a giant shadowy silhouette with antlers. Mm -hmm. But he does, like, have, like, fingers at one point, I think. Don't you see, like... Yeah, I think you see, like, a claw or something. Yeah. You get the briefest of glimpses of him at the very end when uh, Wirt kind of takes him on. Oh, right. He was like... He's shit. like an Edelwood tree. Yeah, he was made yeah. of... Oh, fuck. I forgot about that. What does that imply? I mean, I think it actually implies that he does turn people into Edelwood trees. Like, if they get hopelessly lost and give up when they're in the woods... Sweet, I was right! You were right! <laughs> I think he does turn them into Edelwood trees. and And that's why the woodsman's daughter returns home mm-hmm. when they defeat the beast. That is... Fucking cool. Yeah. Still really sad that Greg started turning into an Edelwood tree. Yep. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> to go back to character a little bit, at the end of the series, in the last episode, Greg has been taken by the beast and 
Wirt has to finally step up and do something. Mm -hmm. Because the reason Greg was taken is because he traded himself to the beast so Wirt could not be turned into an Adelwood tree. Because mm-hmm. this at this point in the show, of course, Wirt has given up <laughs> and he starts to get taken over by Adelwood leaves and vines and stuff. Mm-hmm. So Greg sacrifices himself to the beast in order to save Wirt. So then uh, when Wirt has to finally step up, he finds Greg being turned into an Adelwood tree and... It's really sad. It's fucking awful. Yeah. And meanwhile, a Latin version of potatoes and molasses place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the the beast says to Wirt, your brother's soul will stay alive in the lantern. You just have to keep it lit. It's actually the first time Wirt's rationality comes in handy because yeah. he, ju- he just goes, no, that's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what he does. Yeah. And he then realizes... That the beast's life is somehow connected to this lantern being mm-hmm. lit. Cause, well, because he wants it so bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because he wants it to stay He wants it to stay lit. Mm-hmm. So he blows it out and the beast is defeated. And finally, Wirt becomes the big brother he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason, as you find out throughout the series, Wirt is so weird about Greg is because they're half-siblings. Mm-hmm. And Wirt's mom remarried Greg's dad and... They had Greg. They're related because my mom remarried him. <laughs> yeah. He sings a song about it. <laughs> um, and, and you really get the sense throughout that he doesn't think Greg fits in his life. Mm-hmm. Greg really tries to have a relationship with Wirt and he tries to hang out with him. And <sighs> Wirt is so dismissive of it. And he really just doesn't seem to want Greg there. He wants to kind of live his own life and mm-hmm. doesn't really value his brother much until the end. It's very much one of those, like, tropey sibling kind of relationships with, like, like annoying younger brother and stuff. I mean, we're in the spoiler zone. So when when they do the flashback to before they were lost in the woods, mm-hmm. like, it's kind of about, well, okay, that's not fair. Because <laughs> it's not just about Greg getting them into trouble. Wirt is a shithead. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, Greg is trying to help Wirt throughout that entire episode. Yeah. And... Wirt is just like, fuck off. Yeah, and frankly, Wirt's weird attempt at rationality in the face of Greg's bold face, like, let's confront this head on, and mm-hmm. Wirt's like, no, that's not how you can do it, is the reason why things go so awry, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, the entire series, Wirt is blaming Greg for the fact that they're lost in the woods. But the fact of the matter is, if Wirt had just listened to Greg and gone along with his ideas, they probably wouldn't have gotten lost in the woods. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about the twist? Yeah. <laughs> in every episode, basically, there's some sort of conceit that gets revealed at the end, whether it's that... The pumpkins who seem super sinister and might be, but, you know, aren't really dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, the... um, The innocent young girl who's being controlled by the old witch turns out to actually be possessed by a demon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of set up for the thing toward the end of the series where they reveal how Wirt and Greg actually got lost in the woods. I, I want you to talk about your reaction to it because I remember that you were floored because in the beginning of the series, when it just shows them walking through the woods, mm-hmm. they look weird. Yeah. <laughs> They're dressed in weird clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg inexplicably has a freaking teapot on his head throughout the entire show mm-hmm. and it is never <laughs> explained until episode nine <laughs> of this 10 episode show. Yeah. <laughs> Wirt's wearing like this old time cape and with like this, a cone yeah on his cone head. on his head um and and you know I, I what i thought was interesting when we were rewatching it is that there are times when their speech pattern is weird mm-hmm. and can throw you off like obviously f- throws you off in a way that like it could be dismissed as oh silly cartoon show or it could be indicative of like their time period mm-hmm. like in the very first episode we're starts to monologue the way that he does mm-hmm. because poetry writes him mm-hmm. just like the word choice mm-hmm. you know like you could be tricked into thinking as i think we both were that they were not from a modern time period but they are but they are yeah and and like greg has candy in his pants yeah in the- 
<laughs> Which, once again, along with the teapot, no one talks about, and <laughs> it, is, it is never explained until episode nine. So, in episode nine, you find out that Greg and Wirt are just two kids from the 90s, it I seems. Think so, yeah. Celebrating Halloween. <laughs> uh, Greg is off trick-or-treating. <laughs> which explains the candy. Yeah. And he's dressed as an elephant, which Aww. explains why he has a teapot on his head. Because <laughs> it's like the trunk. We're uh, in the very first scene of the episode. He just throws a costume together. Yeah, and, he's uh, like going through some trunk or something. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's really, he's struggling with something. He's like staring at this tape. And it turns out he has this crush on this girl named Sarah from his high school. So he dresses up uh, in a costume to kind of fit the uh, aesthetic of, of the evening, mm-hmm. I guess. And he ventures off into... To give her a mixtape. To give her a mixtape because it's <laughs> the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he chickens out. Earlier when I was saying that Greg has this very straightforward, no-nonsense approach to Wirt's problem, Greg is literally advising Wirt to just go give her the tape. Yeah, many times he just wanders off ahead of Wirt to mm-hmm. to go try to accomplish the task himself. <laughs> yeah, and like not not like as a frustration, like, oh, I'll do it. It's, no. He just and doesn't. Not, yeah, and also not in like a nasty way of like no. a ha ha ha. But like no. just, he's the sweetest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you find out at the end of the show, she would have been super into it. Mm-hmm. And Wirt just wouldn't do it, you know? But, I mean, just that Jason Funderburker. <laughs> So, talking about subversion, Mm -hmm. this entire episode is full of subverted tropes. You know, like, you have this very 90s scenario, and you you find out that Sarah, Wart's crush, is going to be asked out by Jason Funderburger. Mm -hmm. And you expect him to be some, like, jock, some, like, big, tough guy. Well, Wart goes on and on about him, like, oh, that Jason Funderburger. Yeah. He he gets everything, and he's the coolest kid in school. Yeah. He really builds him up. Yeah. And then when they reveal him, he's like this, oh, hi, Sarah. Yeah, like he's got this ugly bowl cut and like, and Sarah's not into him. No. At all. But like, I mean, she's nice to him. Yeah. And Sarah isn't, you know, the typical blonde popular preppy girl mm-hmm. you know like she's also dressed as a clown skeleton and that's awesome yeah she's she's the shit and she's like the school mascot <laughs> at, at like the high school uh game she's basically like the coolest person ever I yeah guess. She, she's really cool and but she's not like you know the typical girly princessy 90s nerd boy crush yeah in the episode, when they're in the graveyard, mm-hmm. Wirt and Greg are hiding behind some gravestones because they have followed Sarah and Jason Funderburger and the rest of the kids there um, so that Wirt can get the mixtape back from Sarah's jacket. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of which Which Greg put in there, yeah. right? Or something to that effect. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And you can read a name on one of the gravestones they're hiding behind, mm-hmm. and, and it says Quincy Endicott, which is the name of... Um, remember that estate owner whose uh, house mansion was so big that it merged with another person's? <laughs> That's his name. Yeah. Um, which just has a bunch of implications, and we are not sure what to make of it. So let's talk about it. I had a couple of theories about this show. I'm going to preface that by saying that um, each episode, as we said, is kind of its own little pocket. So they kind of seem to exist uh, independently of one another. And they also all seem to be taking place in different time periods, as indicated by the clothing that the characters are wearing. Disclaimer, I'm not an expert in clothing from specific periods of European history. But you know way more about it than I do. (laughs) (laughs) I I know enough to pick up on the fact that uh, these characters are dressed from specific time periods. For example, Beatrice, when she's in her human form, Mm -hmm. because she was turned into a bluebird after she threw a stone at a bluebird. (laughs) She is dressed in a Regency-era gown Mm -hmm. with very Regency-era hair, Mm -hmm. which is Jane Austen's time period. Quincy Endicott, he appears to be dressed in an early Georgian style. And uh, as Wirt points out, the architecture of his home is very Georgian. The the French woman whose mansion merged with his is... uh, 
from the 1700s France. Yeah. And what's interesting about that one is, like you said, Wirt specifically mentions the Georgian... Does he specifically mention the Georgian architecture or just the French Yeah, Rococo? he he says, um, the this French Rococo style doesn't really seem to mesh with... Uh, the Georgian with Endicott's <laughs> Georgian style, you know, yeah. something to that effect. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Brown and uh, the rest of those people from that episode. Yeah, with the, they're with they're the from yeah they're from like the Edwardian era. Mm-hmm. The frogs, the frogs, the frogs uh, who are on a little boat are very clearly influenced by 1920s New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Pottsdale is uh, Pilgrim mm-hmm. type. Yep. <laughs> One of my favorites is. Uh, Greg's dream episode mm-hmm. because that animation is so clearly influenced by the style of the animation from the 40s mm-hmm. and like early Disney pre Snow White old Steamboat Willie mm-hmm. and it also like there are seem to be like direct references to Wizard of Oz which is also from that time period mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite examples of this I think that's so fucking cool yeah so the reason we bring up this discrepancy and the different time periods is because it influenced my uh, theories that I came up with, uh, one of which being that the unknown is kind of a limbo where either A, all the characters, all the different characters they encounter in the unknown are kind of existing in these little pocket dimensions where they're sort of like impressions left behind, like they're not real people, or it's also possible that these are people who are literally just lost in limbo. It kind of seems like something like, like that might be going on because none of these little pockets really seem to interact apart from Beatrice, who is forced to go out into the unknown mm-hmm. and find a cure for her and her family who have all been turned into bluebirds. Yeah. <laughs> Although what about... um The woodsman? Yeah. Well, once again, he's been forced... That's true. ...to go out there. Yeah. Yeah, everybody does seem very contained in their little spaces in the second episode they're in this place called Pottsfield, where Mm -hmm. these skeletons come to life and wear pumpkins on their heads and bodies and and they celebrate a harvest yeah (laughs) which is basically just them digging up a new dead person yeah or a couple and they say multiple times in the episode like no no one leaves Pottsfield. why Mm -hmm. would you want to leave Pottsfield? so they do seem to be pretty contained and then there's also that episode where quincy endicott and that woman their mansions merge, mm-hmm. which is, like, so interesting. Yeah, it is, because the time periods that they're from are actually really close mm-hmm. in in history, and um, but they are separate. Quincy Endicott, when they get there, they're pretending to be his long-lost nephews. To get money out of him. Yeah, <laughs> but, and he goes on and on about how lonely he is. Mm-hmm. So if this were the case, then you wouldn't get many visitors. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting that Auntie Whispers and her charge, they seem like they're from the Salem period in the 1600s. And the way they talk and the way Auntie Whispers talks about unholiness and yeah. stuff like that, it's very, very highly influenced by Also the way she's... Salem. Uh, also the, um, the, the way they play on the expectations of both the audience and the main characters, where Wirt and Greg obviously at first are like, well, Auntie Whispers, this weird old lady who's like got this magic bell, she's obviously like a witch of some kind. <laughs> That tracks. But at the end of the episode, Auntie Whispers says to them, and beware of my sister Adelaide. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's not good. But they've already encountered Adelaide. Yeah. She's the witch of the woods. But when they're first, when they first hear about her, she keeps being referred to as the good woman of the forest. Mm -hmm. But she, she also, when you finally see her, she's straight up a witch. Yeah. And also, didn't we also decide that her clothes, clothes were also... 1600 Salem-y? Yeah, she's got, like, a pilgrimy hat on. Mm-hmm. So, before Salem. But yeah, I guess. Yeah. Either mm-hmm. way, similar time yeah. periods. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's interesting that they're in different pockets. Does that does that maybe imply that they got lost separately? It could. I mean, it also kind of makes you wonder, could any of these people be natural indigenous inhabitants of this place? Is the beast a natural indigenous inhabitant of this place? Yeah. I mean, or did he just find that the unknown was a good place for him particularly to call home? Hmm. Makes you wonder. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that makes me wonder if this is the case. If everybody is trapped in their own pocket dimension. Why are Wirt and Greg, why don't they have their own pocket? You know what I mean? Why are they wandering? 
Well, uh, if this is limbo, it could be because they're not dead. They're close to dying. When um, they climb over the garden wall of the graveyard and like jump over the other side, they kind of end up falling into a river, mm-hmm. which... Um, yeah, they roll down a hill and... Yeah, they fall into an ice cold river, which mm-hmm. as far as they know, they come out of on the other side into the unknown. Mm-hmm. However, if this if the unknown really is limbo, then it could be that they were able to access limbo because they almost died. Yeah. You know? So maybe <laughs> people who don't have a place in limbo and who wander aimlessly turn into Edelwood trees because they don't have a place. Interesting. What makes those other people have a place, though? Maybe they're actually dead, you know? Mm. Then why would they stay in limbo? I don't know. (laughs) I didn't write the show. I'm not saying my theories are perfect here. Here's the spoken part of the theme song Mm -hmm. for the show. That we were talking about earlier that kind of, yeah. Somewhere lost in the clouded annals of history, which... Okay. (laughs) Lies a place that few have seen, a mysterious place called the unknown, where long forgotten stories are revealed to those who travel through the wood. To go back to my uh, very ambiguous and difficult to explain (laughs) possibility for this theory, if if they were just kind of like impressions left upon the unknown, this limbo, it could still be like limbo, you know, If, if they were just impressions left there, which would make sense because they are so contained. Mm hmm. That could explain it. That's true. You know? It's very difficult to explain. I hope people listening aren't like, what the fuck is this bitch talking about? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like, the show doesn't explain it. and I don't, No, it doesn't. Like, I don't think I want them to. No, I like that there's so much left open for us to discuss, but there's enough given to us to make us feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. So my other theory mm-hmm. is that this is all a dream, <laughs> which is the biggest cop-out ever, mm-hmm. but... Does that make Greg's dream episode Inception? Oh my god, it does. I fucking, fucking hate Inception. <laughs> <laughs> so, as we stated, poetry writes work. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it's pretty safe to assume that he's well-read. Mm-hmm. And every time period of the characters in each episode could correlate to a specific part of American literature. When we were watching this, you know, our minds were still uh, fresh on uh, the last episode we'd recorded. And I kind of realized that, you know, this, this series is is very American Gothic. Mm-hmm. American Gothic is different than European Gothic in that it, you know, doesn't take place in old abbeys and it doesn't involve incest and... <laughs> There are ghosts, but the ghosts generally um, have a little more substance to their to the role that they play than traditional European Gothic. Mm-hmm. And um, the setting is more uh, forests and creepy caves and has to do with kind of the unknown frontier of the Americas. Right. Also because we don't have castles. <laughs> well, of course. But, yeah. you know, you know, it doesn't it doesn't involve old haunted houses really either. Yeah, that's true. Um, it, it has a lot to do with the unknown. Mm hmm. And what is this forest called? (laughs) Hey! (laughs) So, you know, in a lot of ways, this really is like American Gothic. And Mm -hmm. if you think of, like, old Edgar Allan Poe, uh, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, um, even just The Crucible and um, stuff like that, you know, it's it's possible that Wirt would uh, be able to associate these different time periods from the literature he's read to this weird dream he's having. Mm -hmm. Also, the growth he experiences could be the result of his subconscious knowing that he is treating Greg unfairly and that he has the guise of rationality without actually having true rationality, you Mm -hmm. know? I was going to say the same thing, because if it is Wirt's dream, then why is Greg so often the one who figures everything out? Mm -hmm. But it would make sense if it was because he has this guilt or is trying to come to terms with the fact that him and Greg are family. I mean, 
they're not the only mentions of family in the show. There's Beatrice and her family and the guilt she feels over the fact that they were also turned into bluebirds Mm -hmm. (laughs) because of what she did. There's Auntie Whispers and the fact that her niece isn't really her niece. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the episode, when her niece is freed from the demon that was inside of her, um, Auntie Whispers thinks that she's going to leave her mm-hmm. and is so sad. And her niece is like, no, you you are my family. And mm-hmm. it's very sweet. Like, it does pop up several times throughout the series. Oh, and the woodsman and his daughter, duh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's another example somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, that, that recurring theme of family and guilt mm-hmm. could be definitely worth subconscious. Yeah. <laughs> so with our topic being subversion of expectations, I think it's interesting that in most of the twists in the episodes, they're about danger and whether or not something or someone is dangerous. Mm-hmm. The gorilla. Yeah. <laughs> um, the pumpkins in Pottsfield. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Andy Whispers and her niece. The woodsman. I, I don't really know what I think that says, especially if we're going on your theories. Like, mm-hmm. if it's if this is a dream and it's worth subconscious i wonder what he's like working through well it could have to do with his mistaken rationality that's true he isn't really great at reading a situation and yet though he's supposed to be older and wiser and greg is supposed to be younger and more unwise (laughs) uh greg seems to read situations a lot better yeah than wort i mean greg doesn't seem to be afraid of the woodsman in the first episode whereas wort is pretty unsettled by him. The beast is upon me! (laughs) I mean, what? (laughs) That wasn't the first episode. No, but I was was thinking about Greg and his reactions to things because when they're riding in that cart and hiding in the hay bale and um, Greg sticks his head out and looks around and where it's like, is there a beast out there? And Greg's like, no, just this duck. (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, it could have to do with that. The fact that Wirt is pretty much always wrong, you know? (laughs) He really is. Like, he was so quick to believe that uh, Auntie Whispers was the demon and that Auntie Whispers' niece was was innocent. She was innocent. She was just possessed by a demon, which happens to the best of us. Yeah, absolutely. I don't really know. Remember that one time? (laughs) (laughs) I don't really know where to fit this in. But um, an interesting example of Wirt's rationality actually working, along with, you know, him saying to the beast, that's dumb, dumb. (laughs) you know, Auntie Whispers had a bell that could control the demon. And she was using it to keep Lorna from doing terrible things when the demon takes control of her. Mm -hmm. And Wirt saves the day by just ringing the bell and telling the demon, go away and never come back. And that's a pretty simple solution, (laughs) you know, and it's... Wirt's normal rationality that saves the day there. Yeah. It's a precursor to, no, that's dumb. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Another interesting theme that kind of carries throughout the entire series Mm -hmm. is um, this this notion of identity. Yeah. In one episode, it's one of my fucking favorites because (laughs) it has... I know we said that episode three with the school children and the teacher has the weirdest music, but oh my god, this episode gives it a run for its money mm-hmm. with the highwayman and um they force Wirt to sing a song um the the boys come across this tavern in the woods mm-hmm. where there's like all these weird people <laughs> did, did we decide they all look like they were from the same time period i really couldn't tell most of their clothing is so nondescript it's impossible to really pinpoint it right one guy looked like he was dressed in regency era regimentals mm-hmm. And that's all I could tell you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So they're just looking for directions to Adelaide's house, Mm -hmm. I think. Uh, And every time Wirt tries to talk to somebody, they're like, well, who are you? Mm -hmm. And he tries to tell them, well, I'm Wirt. And they're like, no, who are you? Mm -hmm. Like, what role do you play? Which is like (laughs) a very blunt way of (laughs) dealing with themes. And and the thing is, Wirt can't answer them. Yeah. He doesn't know how to answer them. He doesn't know what role he plays in the world. Well, in fairness, in real life, people don't fall into archetypes like the young lover and stuff like that. No, of course not. Yeah. I just think it's kind of significant that Wirt has such a hard time placing where he belongs. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. 
another example of um, this theme of identity is uh, Greg is a frog <laughs> throughout the entire show who uh, he cannot choose a name for. Mm-hmm. He names him at least 100 different things, <laughs> uh, including a bunch of the U.S. presidents that we mentioned. And I just thought it was kind of interesting how he doesn't ever really have a name. That he, is really interesting. He's also, we are to assume, the frog who sings the opening. <laughs> he settles on the name George Washington for like a solid episode. So that's what I refer to him as. <laughs> By the end, he also is named Jason Funderburger. Yeah, he is. <laughs> you know, d- does that imply that George Washington, the frog, belongs in the unknown? Yeah, he, he never speaks when he's with them but he does sing i actually found it kind of interesting that throughout the show george washington's character is really weird because he starts off as just a frog Mm -hmm. but then over a few episodes he starts to become more like sentient until the episode where he sings and then he actively chooses to go back to being greg's pet frog he goes from being a sentient being back to being a silent frog that just croaks and doesn't really seem to know what's going on Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess that could kind of go along with the idea of, like, a role, because he kind of chooses to just be a frog. As much as, like you said, it's kind of a cop-out of the whole, it was all a dream. Mm -hmm. The more we talk about it, the more I feel like it makes sense that this is Wirt's subconscious because of the family stuff. He's a high school student. What is the shittiest thing for a high school student to go through and figure out you know it's mm-hmm. like who are you and where you fit and what's your identity mm-hmm. and i don't know like greg isn't wrestling with the same kind of thing no because he's a child yeah and the, the back and forth between them i think is super interesting how it's mentioned several times that Wirt is supposed to be the leader he's the older brother he's you know responsible for them mm-hmm. and by the end when Wirt is giving up and um, he finally says to Greg, well, you you lead us. I don't know what to do anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to follow you. And Greg says, you want me to be the leader? Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm the leader, what are you? Mm-hmm. Which is like, <laughs> again, it's obviously a theme. It's mm-hmm. very, like, blatant. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's but just- at the same time, you're picking up on it subconsciously, but it's not necessarily something that it, you're thinking in the foreground. Because it yeah, almost, totally. like that episode with the inn, it kind of along with the rest of the show, really just makes you think, what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. So I think maybe one of the reasons this show is so damn mysterious <laughs> and, like, unanswerable as far as what it means and what it's about is because of the fact that it's constantly subverting, <laughs> if that's the right term to use here, your ability to actually pick up on this stuff by its constant, like, what the fuckery. Yeah, maybe, because it... Like, when you watch it through with that kind of lens, mm-hmm. you you hear them say shit like that, and you're like, wait a second, that's, like, so obvious. Yeah. And and a lot of the stuff in the show should be obvious. It should be obvious that it doesn't make sense for a wild gorilla to be running around. By the end of the, of the series, it should be obvious that n- nothing is as it seems anymore. Mm-hmm. But you still get tricked, and you still go, holy shit, they're from the 90s? Yeah. You know? It's yeah. Like... What a masterpiece. Definitely. So there you have it. Uh, Proof that Jen and I are intelligent, thinking, uh, Mm -hmm. sentient beings. Mm -hmm. Yes, quite. With opinions. Quite. Yes, quite. Yes. (laughs) Quite. So, guys, did you like that? (laughs) I hope you did. Hmm. Yes. Yes, quite. Doing? What I is don't this? really know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. If you haven't seen Over the Garden Wall yet, go watch it. Just like, come on, like right now, like go right now. What's wrong with you? It's totally worth it. It's, it's amazing. It's definitely not a wasted three hours of your life. <laughs> yeah. Don't be don't be fooled by how how silly it is. It's gorgeous and amazing. Yeah. There's definitely substance there. Mm-hmm. Really great show. Mm-hmm. So once again, if you would like to reach out to us and share any of your thoughts, you can reach us at one person's trash is our treasure.com. And uh, also on Twitter at Optiot, that's O-P-T-I-O-T, and on Instagram at OptiotPod. This week's question is If you've seen Over the Garden Wall and you have a theory as to what the fuck is going on in the unknown or like 
where it is or what it's about, then please share it with us. Yeah, that's all I want to talk about. I just want to discuss that. Come talk to us about it. Yeah, I'd love to hear other people's thoughts. Yeah, totally. You might be wrong, but I'd still like to hear about it. (laughs) And we'll tell you if you're wrong. How do you like this new uh, aggressive character that I have for the podcast, right? Yeah, I feel like you have like a weird energy tonight. I know. You were the one who felt like you had a weird energy tonight. We both have weird energies, but they're like on opposite ends of the spectrum. (laughs) Anyway. Let's go eat baked apples. Yeah. (laughs) Bye, listeners. Bye. (laughs) Come See you next time (laughs) on Optiat. Testing, testing, testing. Testing, 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 testing. Okay. I like to give levels. Yeah. How the gentle wind. Don't put that in. (laughs) Back into the trees as autumn colors fall. I can't go that low. (laughs) Alto. I'm I'm a soprano. (laughs) Fuck up. Over the garden wall. (laughs) Wait, are we on NPR? Yeah. (laughs) You're listening to Rachel and Jen. (laughs) Jesus Christ, we're a mess. I know. What's wrong with us? Ooh. Better take care. Ooh. The the beast beast is out there. (laughs) Also, are you getting sweaty? I'm getting sweaty. No. God, that... in my house (laughs) how about that spoiler warning song right no (laughs) even if I did sing it I could edit it out curses (laughs) it was such a weak joke in the harlots episode that like like you didn't even laugh at me no you laughed at me You, you didn't laugh with me. So I was like, Rachel, I was a fool. I don't... Fuck symbolism. Yes, quite. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yes. Yes, quite. I'm the highway man.